Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The home of the Red Sox. 93.7 WEIFM and HD1. Lawrence, Boston. Brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Search and browse more privately. Download the free DuckDuckGo app today. We're always live on the free Odyssey app. Get Boston Sports Original on the go. Wherever you go. Just download the Odyssey app. We're right back to it. It's KJ Carson on WEEI. I think the only thing I can take away from it is he's changed. Plainly, he has decided that keeping the foot off the gas pedal in July and August should yield better results. If you look at the results since 2019 from Thanksgiving on, they're desperately bad, however. So I don't know what the yield is that's indicating to him this is the way to do it. Nor have they had particularly spectacular Septembers. I don't know the rationale behind it. WEEI 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. It's KJ along with my man John Lyons. Second hour here. As Tommy Kern earlier this week on the station about Belichick's change in approach, his belief of not playing starters in the preseason game. And so Mac Jones didn't play last night, nor did you see most of the starters. You didn't see Ramondre. We're didn't, look, think about it, John. We're, we're not going to see Zeke Elliott in preseason at all. Yep, and, and a, he's not the only one. You mentioned the lighter work, workload for Ramondre Stevenson. It's been a light workload for Mac Jones, for yep. Hunter Henry, for a lot, Jonathan Jones we haven't seen at all. Trent Brown, very light workload. So it's a lot of guys on this team, especially that established starter-level type player, light workload uh, over the past really three weeks or so for a lot of those guys. Yeah, last night, I, it's not even mentioning the score. I mean, the, the, the it just did not look good. Like, technically... Ryan Tannehill played but did not even make a pass attempt. He just went in there and handed off the ball four, three times and got out of the game. And I was just like, can't Mac do that? <laughs> like, and, and I think that's that that's my thing because the big story, and I've said this even going back, I don't know, since the beginning of time, that at the draft, the offensive line was the most important thing that needed to be addressed. In fact, the Patriots, if you remember, they traded out to the Steelers who took an offensive lineman to kind of usurp the Jets from taking an offensive lineman, and now I'm thinking you couldn't have used that offensive lineman yourself. So, do you think that it was a smart move to keep to, to, to keep uh, really all your starters out of there, but specifically Mac Jones to protect him, or is it to kind of keep him fresh? What do you think it leans towards? I think it leans towards protecting him because you mentioned the offensive line, and I'm someone that believes when the Patriots' top five offensive linemen are healthy. Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, probably Riley Reef, and then Mike Onwenu. That is a good unit. The problem is they don't have a lot behind that. And we know offensive line depth's hard to find for anyone, but it feels like they have even less offensive line depth than everyone else in the league. So without those guys in there who presumably will most, if not all, be there week one, 
I was okay holding Mac out of this game. And the other thing, too, is it's a 100-degree night. They're not going to have any really hot games earlier in the year. They, they start at home at 425. My uh, Dolphins Sunday night at home, week two, then New York. So it's not like last year where they're playing week one in Miami. So I, I was okay holding him out. I, I think last night, to me, was a nice illustration of where maybe you only need two preseason games now because I don't think we learned <laughs> too much out of that. And I wonder, KJ, though, because Tommy Curran mentioned the philosophy change. Right. I think the 17-game schedule has a lot to do with this. And I know in 2019 and 2020 it was still 16 games, but we're now talking about a training camp that starts in late July and a season that doesn't end until January 8th or 9th. It's a long, long time, 17 games with only one bye week, which I think is ridiculous in itself, but that's the reality. So I wonder if that's why they're doing this because, hey, 16 games with one bye week is a lot different than that whole extra game with playoff implications in late January. So they're hoping they'll be fresher this year because Tommy Kern's right too. They have not played well after Thanksgiving going on four years now. So I'm okay if they're shifting this to try to fix that, then I think it's it's worth a shot. Well, John, that would be a great argument if no other team in the league had 17 games in one bye week. Now, the bye week, where it falls, I can buy that, right? So if you're telling me, hey, these guys are going to play, I think, nine games before their bye week, yeah. and other teams may get to, say, five games or six games in a bye week, yeah, that makes a difference. But again, my thing is, if last year's reasoning was, hey, there was no offensive structure around, what is there really to practice, to trying to figure things out, I was actually more in favor of, of Mac probably not being in games in preseason last year because if there are things you're still ironing out, you want to make sure you have them correct before stepping on the field. Now you have someone who's running that department who everything should be ironed out already, and you should be able to go out there and at least exemplify that you could do them. Now they now here's the thing. They showed that they could do that in that drive in last week's game. But this is also a new offense well, it's, it's it's some of the same. It's new for some of the guys. It's so. new for some yeah. of the guys, right? But let's just say it's really new for all the major players involved, right? Probably what isn't dif- 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 uh, different for anybody is the defense. And what do you know? You're seeing people like Barmore out there playing extended minutes. So Bill is willing to play some of his guys who he knows he's going to actively rotate in, maybe even start spot at different times. They're getting active minutes in the games, but the offense is not. So I think this is just really a statement of, Despite new management overseeing offense, I still don't believe in the offense out there. And if it goes out there looking bad, it feels like it may carry over. These first four weeks of the season could be brutal because in the past you've heard like, hey, you know, September is like an extended preseason. But if you're not even in the preseason, then it's really the preseason. It's not even extended. And that is my concern where how do you know these guys are going to be in cuz how do you want to do you really believe that in week 1 you feel like we'll get everything rolling against the I don't know the Super Bowl runner ups right so and then the following week you've got a divisional a divisional rival so i i'm not buying that these guys have it so figured out that they don't need to be in there it's more of and i go what you're saying it's a protectionary thing, and if we're protecting yeah. guys because it's a little bit hot outside, well, what are you going to do when you have nothing but the sun in your face at the end of December? All in, you know, when and, you're, and when I think it's a de- I think it's a depth thing more than anything else because, like you mentioned, Barmore, and I get that, but I think 
you can't really compare their defensive line depth and their offensive line depth. I mean, they have probably seven or eight guys on their defensive line, if you include Uche and Judon on the edge, that are legit players and can be contributors. Whereas their offensive line, I look at it as they have five guys who, if all are healthy, they can be pretty good on the offensive line. And beyond that, they have a ton of question marks. And even those five guys... They have question marks about them, too. So I think that, to me, that's the biggest thing. I think if they had confidence in their offensive line, we would have seen Mac Jones last night. I think they just looked at it as, we don't have Trent Brown. We're managing David Andrews. We don't have Cole Strange. We don't have Mike Onwenu. And we saw Mac against Green Bay. You mentioned the great first drive, and then Andrew Stuber got smoked and Mac got killed on that strip sack off the edge. So I, I think that's something that they looked at as, hey, in week one, Andrew Stuber is not going to be playing offensive line for us, so we're not going to risk it, you know, this week against a Tennessee front that is pretty good too, especially against the run. Yeah, it, the offensive line looks horrible. I mean, I think that's just the continuing narrative that we're going to go into with the season. And I've said I've been shocked because I've always seen Belichick as a take care of the basics first before going fanciful. That's why I never thought that DeAndre Hopkins would be here. I would say he would go get a runner before he would pay for a receiver. But even before that, I would say. I think he would try and go find a line, purchase, draft, whatever needs to be done, rotating guys. If you get seven or eight guys at the expense of a couple of receivers, I think Bill would have done that, and you haven't seen that. And so, you know, we, we joked about like, okay, if you know, if the guards aren't so strong, they'll look out for the A-gap blitz, and what are you gonna do? But at the same time, though, if if guys are coming around from all sides and Tennessee, they're not putting like they're A guys out there. They're rotating them in just like any other team is. They're, so they're getting guys in there who are getting easily to the quarterback. And I'll get to the whole quarterback con- you know, controversy about Bailey Zappi and, and how he looks. I'll get into that next break. But it, it's just one of those things where it's it just feels like Bill is like, okay, the defense, they're my good kid. They're going to get good grades and everything. But my offense... I keep a little stash in the bank in case they get in trouble on a Friday night. I don't expect it. They might make it to the community college, and if they do, I'll probably drive them down there to take their classes. Nothing wrong with community college. But I'll probably drive them down there and pick them up. He probably can't drive anymore. So I've got to just kind of like, you know what? I've got to be overprotective of this side of the ball because I trust my kids over here on the defense, and that's going to be blaringly bad if you enter into the season where – you're putting all that attention on the defense and the offense is just going to be consistently a three and out or worse, a turnover machine because you can't protect the quarterback. And, and I wonder too, and other people have talked about this, so it's not a totally original idea of mine, but I wonder if they're looking at the landscape of the AFC with all the high-flying passing offenses and just saying, we're going to play great defense, we're going to run the ball, Mac's going to play well enough, and we're going to throw the ball well enough, and that's how we're going to win 10 games and be a playoff team. Because I think, look, if you spread it out and you go mano mano passing attack versus passing attack, you're not going to beat Buffalo and Miami and the Jets consistently or even Baltimore, look. Kansas City. So maybe that they look at it as we have, we have to find another way. And that's and that you see it with the Zeke Elliott signing too, and Cole Strange in the first round last year. Well, John, look at this way: you ever take a test in high school? And you say, "Well, I'll do well enough," right? You ever do right. that? Sure. What was the grade you usually got eh, when you thought you'd do well enough? B, B minus. Oh, you were that guy? No, yeah. most people get a C. Pray, they pray for a C and most likely get a D. There's now B minus, and hopefully yeah. they do well. Well, enough. I, I was a nerd, so. 
Oh, well, there. I still am. I, still I think am, but. clearly not the common man I see. No, I'm KJ. a man of the people. I'm just kind of a nerd too. So if that's possible, I don't know, KJ. If that, but look, I, I think the it's funny because if we go into this season, the only group that I'm really concerned about at all on this team is the offensive line. And I know their receivers aren't A-plus guys, but I'm like, all right, they'll be solid. They'll be okay. The running backs will be good. I think Mack will bounce back. Tight end, they'll be solid. Defensively, they'll be good. Special teams can't get any worse than last year, so it'll be better. The offensive line is the only group that I'm like, yeah, I like their starting five, but I don't know if they're going to – I mean, Trent Brown has health and consistency questions. Cole Strange, I know he was in a really bad situation last year. He still got benched twice. David Andrews has had injury issues. Mike Onwenu is coming back from an injury right now. Riley yeah, Reef, 12-year journeyman. Like, even those have guys have that, questions. If you have a line that collapses in a non-mobile quarterback, what happens? Do you still get to be on that test? Right, and that's, that's I think, <laughs> and that's the th- thing. Like, I think – it, when I really look at their offense, and again, I'm not telling you that they have an A-plus skill group, but I think they have a good enough skill group to win games. The only unit that I'm like, ooh, I'm a little concerned there, is the offensive line. And it's because even that starting five, which I do think is good, they still have question marks themselves. 617-779-7937, text line 37937. KJ, along with John Lyons, uh, will continue to Patriots Talk, joining the conversation next. Right now, it's time to tremor. Brian Fazoko. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Get Boston Sports Original on the go. Wherever you go. Just download the Odyssey app. We're right back to it. It's KJ Carson on WEEI. Same question for you. How do you feel about things now that you've gone through training camp and a month basically over the course of three preseason games? How do you feel about where you are? Um, I mean, of course... You can be in a lot better position every time you look back at the film, look back at every game. I mean, there's always going to be things that you could have done better, you could have, you know, fixed. Um, I mean, like today is one of those games for me. So we'll get back tomorrow or whenever and kind of learn from those mistakes and just move on. Good Saturday to you, WEEI. KJ, got my man John Lyons with me, 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. That's Bailey Zappi on his performance last night, and he's had the bulk of the preseason snaps. We'll get to that narrative in about two minutes. Let's go to Tim and Chicopee. Thanks for calling KJ and John Lyons here on WEEI. Hey, guys. Uh, great show. Uh, absolutely right. Questioning the offensive line because they don't have a lot of depth. And I, I do agree if the, you know, their starting group can be together, it's going to be a decent group. You know, not outstanding, but it'll be a decent group. But I would, my take is this. There's going to be the cut-down days, and there's going to be some teams that have a lot of offensive depth that maybe there's going to be one or two uh, veterans, you know, playing uh, five to seven years, that I think the Patriots will be in a position when they put them on a waiver uh, wire to get, and that might help. It's trying to predict the future, 
but um, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Love the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, Tim, for the call. Yeah, John, I, I I totally get looking at people who might be released, but guys who tend not to be released are offensive linemen, right? Like it's tough you, because it, there isn't right. a lot of good offensive line depth around the NFL. We're talking about because look to to the caller's point, and thanks for the call. I would love for them to find an offensive lineman that got released who's a starting caliber player or even a very good backup to sign after cutdown day. I just I don't know if I see any team letting those guys go. It's so hard to find those guys. Once you have them, you pretty much keep them as long as you can for and you're willing to pay as much as you need to for them. So I just I would love for that to happen. I just I don't know if I see a path for that happening because it's so hard to find. Yeah, you know, the name Robert Leatherwood comes to mind where he was this big pick out of Alabama and was released last year. And I think uh, who who they played, he, he's been picked up by the Raiders, right, because he was in that Raiders game. And you're like, yeah, you know, when, if, it, if an offensive lineman gets released, <laughs> could that be an indice that you don't want that guy on your offensive well, line it, until at least for a full camp? We did see the Patriots do it in 2011 with Brian Waters. Like they signed him the week before okay. the regular season, and Brian he played, Waters is but, a Hall of Famer. Well, right. And the point is, is like that's really the only example I can think of in the last 20 right. years. And I'm sure there's probably one or two others. If someone knows, feel free to text it or call it. But it's so rare to have that yeah. happen. But if if that's available, and I'm the Patriots, I'm paying whatever I need to to get a guy like that. I just don't. I don't necessarily see a path for that happening. So there's a narrative that's starting to bubble, and it's getting louder and louder. And it's about the lack of production you've seen from Bailey Zappi in the preseason. And I think the reason why the voices are louder about Bailey Zappi underperforming in the preseason is because of what happened last season. Okay, I was one of those who thought that look going into the season with a new system, it's going to be catered for Mac Jones to be the quarterback. What happens once the season starts is really when the clock starts ticking. I did think there would be some type of quarterback competition in 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 in, in the preseason, and in truth, you've kind of had like a mini one because uh, Bailey's taking all the snaps. But if if you're saying that, ha, huh, see, Bailey isn't as good as you think he is. My argument would be like, is he being beaten out by someone who's great? Or are you in your feelings because you know that a couple of slip-ups by Mac means that Bailey Zappi's in the game? What do you think? So if I've never been a big Zappi guy. I even wrote last year during the height of Zappi fever that the Mac's still the guy. And don't get me wrong, I thought he played well against Cleveland last year. Those two touchdown drives against Chicago were wildly exciting, and I had a lot of fun. But I think Zappi is a okay backup to have. He's an okay backup to have, but last night, to me, was his worst game as a Patriot, regular season or preseason. And I know you can say, oh, the offensive line didn't block well. He took four sacks. The fourth one he took, he held the ball for over four seconds. He fumbled the ball three times. We only lost one of them, but he still fumbled it three and put it on the ground three times. So I thought he didn't play well against Green Bay. He's looked inconsistent in camp, and last night was his worst game as a Patriot. I think... He solidified himself as a clear number two backup option behind Mac Jones. And I was, like I said, I was never a big zappy guy last year, but I think he's really shown over the course of the last month that his ceiling, at least in this offense, is a backup. So if he's an okay backup... Which is still if, valuable, by the way. Right. Like having an okay backup. What What's the adjective in front of Mac Jones in terms of starter? 
right? Is he an okay starter? Is he a good starter? I think we could both say that he's not a great starter. So I so, think his ceiling is he's a good starter. Like his rookie year, he was a good starter. Last year, I thought he was a below average starter. I think with a better offensive system this year, he's going to be a solid to good starter, which is still you, a big but, gap to me between that but, and Zappy. But there is a chance that he may end up being an okay starter, correct? Uh, yeah, oh, is there a chance for sure? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's where he is right now. Yeah, and, and I would. I have, think that's fair. And if you have an okay starter, that means you're not too far ahead of an okay backup. I, I mean, what we saw <laughs> the last couple games, though, I mean, he looked light years ahead of Zappi. Well, he, he well, just how, really, well, wait, but how can he look light years ahead of Zappi if he's only played one series in the preseason? Because here's the flip side he of was, the coin. But he's been better in camp, and even that one series Those was productive. <laughs> he was productive. Like, Zapp, like I, mean, I really think Zappi, his last two weeks have been – really bad, especially Here, last here's, night. Here's what I'm saying. Zappy could have been lights out, and the argument would be it's the preseason. And I say that is once we get to the season, if you have an okay quarterback in there and an okay backup and the okay quarterback is starting to regress down below okay, okay backup, get in there. Now, again, we talked about the O-line, and that plays a part in it as well. But again, I would argue that if Zappy had a lights out training camp and was just, you know, absolutely going gung ho through preseason, it still wasn't, you know, there would be some people say see Zappy, but I would say, look, it's not the regular season. And if you ask me, his regular season tape looks better than his preseason tape, does it not? Yeah, I think like that second half against Chicago last year, he was bad. I thought against Detroit, he was just kind of below average, not that good. Cleveland, he was good. And, and you're right. Like, I think his. Regular season tape from last year definitely looks better than his preseason tape from this year. But I also think, like, I'm not one of those people that dismisses training camp in the preseason. Like, this is how you separate yourself if you're going to play quarterback in the NFL. And I think Mac Jones, for pretty much every day of the last six weeks, has been a significantly better player than Bailey Zappi. And I think that's where the separation comes in. And I think he is a better player. And I think we've seen evidence that Zappi has just really not played well the last two weeks. And I know Mac hasn't really been in there. He's looked good that, you know, couple series that he was. But I just think, like, over the last six weeks, we've seen a gap develop. Last year, I, I think, look, it was fun and it was controversial. And I think it was closer. Now I think we've seen a gap. Well, here's the thing. We all know that Mac Jones can look great in the preseason, great in shorts, Great in the interviews. It's stuff for us to talk about as we lead into game one. But what happens when you get into the Eagles game? What happens in that Miami game? What happens in that Dallas game? That's all That's all that Mac Jones really can be measured against, right? Like, I'm not even measuring him against Zappy in preseason. That's really a non-starter. It's only going to matter once he gets in between those lines when the games count. It's like Baltimore's 24-game winning streak in preseason was – was eliminated. Guess what? Who knew? Who cares? It doesn't count. But at the same time, this team with a new offense, with a new offense, you know, with a new offensive coordinator, really, well, just really with an offense, I don't know how Mac is going to be in the system until we get into the games. Like, if, if Zappi was, like I said, if he was great in the preseason, I would be one of those who would argue that it's against preseason competition. The, you know, the, these, the guys he's really going to be facing are not out there. So, yeah, him being an okay backup, but Mac has to be above okay to start the season because if it becomes a question, well, are we going to argue like, well, you can't put Zappi in there because look how horrible it was in the preseason, or do you say 
you, you maybe you put him in there because at least last season when he got into these actual games, he could do some things. And you mentioned like when it comes to cutdowns and players and where we're getting at. Is there a couple of players that are on the margins? Give me two players on the margins that you think are or are on the cusp of being cut that you wouldn't expect. And give me two players who you think will be kept who are in that question of, you know, actually making the team. So for the cuts, this is one that I think a lot of fans, a player they've been really excited about, I think it's Malik Cunningham. I just think the Patriots only carry two quarterbacks, and it's Mack and Zappi. I think Cunningham, ideally, he's on your practice squad helping you get ready for all the mobile quarterbacks you face. So he's a guy that I know fans love, and I've enjoyed watching him. I just think he's a cut. The other one, Nick Folk, been a pretty consistent kicker for the Patriots the last few years. They draft a kicker and a punter this year in the draft. I think both the kicker and the punter as rookies make it. I think Nick Folk is an odd man out. And part of this, too, we talked about this last segment, mm-hmm. all this uncertainty on their on their offensive line plays into this. Because right now, for me, I have the Patriots keeping nine offensive linemen after cutdown day, which is a big number. Because nine to there's find so, two good ones. <laughs> right, because there's, there's so many questions. Now, if the Patriots' offensive line was better and they only had to keep, say, seven or eight, then there might be space for a Malik Cunningham. Or you could carry two kickers to make sure you know Bryce Barringer is good and Chad Ryland is good to start the year and then move on. But because there's so much certainty, uncertainty on their offensive line, I think these two guys are odd men out. So before you get to the ones who you think are to be kept, sure. you say Cunningham and Folk. I can see the Folk argument. Uh, you, you draft another kicker in the fourth round, so you're now using capital to address that sure. issue. So I get that. But I want to get to the Malik Cunningham situation because – like last year, you mentioned Belichick only keeps two quarterbacks. It's because of Brian Hoyer getting hurt that you get moved, uh, you move Zappy to that second and move uh, Hoyer pretty much to the permanent three spot. You don't think he gets kept as a third quarterback and potential because if he gets called up, now you have a story because if Malik Cunningham gets moved to the number two quarterback situation, I think one of two things have happened. The offensive line has gotten progressively worse, and now there's a chance that Mac. Jones is either injured or is getting destroyed out there. Or two, they believe that with Malik Cunningham at some point, he can fall into the philosophy to be the quarterback if Mac Jones isn't. Is there a possibility to that? So I think Malik Cunningham needs so much development that even if Mac or Zappi got hurt, they might sign a veteran to fill that spot, at least for the time those guys are out. And I do like Malik Cunningham, the player. I just think he's got so much development he needs. You don't want him really starting or playing any meaningful snaps outside of maybe some gimmicky zone read stuff this year. And look, it's a risk. Like, cause if you're another team, so let me he was ask such this. a dynamic college me, athlete, they might lose him. But. Let me ask you this. If you've got a bad offensive line and guys are getting laid out, you don't think you have to start thinking about how do I get an athlete back there that I can extend a play if I don't have guys out there who can already do it. Right, like you, you maybe you 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 narrow the book, right? It's sure Cam Newton narrowing, but it, except for you have a guy who could potentially throw a little bit. Now, totally, I get the development portion of it, but I think that Bill doesn't keep a player on his team that he doesn't believe can pick up the information in a rather rapid way. And the other thing is too, the NFL recently has a new like emergency quarterback rule right. that I think like if if Cunningham was on your practice squad, you could designate him as that. So like if he plays whoever he, I, I don't know the exact wording of the rule, but like whoever he replaces, I think just can't play the rest of that game. So if right. he went in for a snap or whatever, so yeah, that I is a kind the, of yeah, loophole to, yeah, to they, have him available. But look, I, 
I understand your point. Like, if their offensive line blows, do they go to somebody more mobile or a different style? And I think that's a possibility. I still wonder if they lean a veteran in that spot rather than Cunningham just because he has so much development as a passer to go. Maybe that could be something for him. I, I just think... Like, look, I know that drive against Houston was exciting, and I know he got in there last night, but I think if you look at it from just a zoom-out standpoint of what they really need on this roster, an extra offensive lineman for this team or an extra blocking tight end is a lot more valuable for them than a third-string quarterback who might develop into something good but still has a couple years of development to go. So I'm a huge Cunningham practice squad guy. I just, I don't know. I, I just don't have him on my 53 right now. Yeah, I run for your life out there, brother. All right, so who are a couple of guys that are just on the margins that just crossed that finish line at 53, do you think? First one for me, linebacker Calvin Munson, and I know they have a lot of depth at linebacker, but I think he's been one of their best players this preseason. He'll give them contributions on special teams. He's a nice backup piece to have. He's really earned his way there. So Calvin Munson at linebacker is one. The other one, Kayshawn Booty at wide receiver. I think they're going to carry... Six wide receivers this year, seven if you include Matt Slater. And I think Booty's going to be that sixth and final guy behind Demario Douglas and Tyquan Thornton. And I think he has so much potential, and I know there's uncertainty, and he's played so well in training camp in the preseason over the last two weeks. It's worth having him on to see if he continues to progress and can be a real option for you, especially if you have any injuries at receiver. Yeah, I like the Booty choice, but I do wonder, carrying six receivers. It is a lot. Right, it's a lot, and you're talking about a team that's going to have trouble buying time for a quarterback to get into the mid and long reads, right? Like, if you're telling me like a lot of the passes are going to be within the first five to seven yards of line of scrimmage, even if it's two yards behind, okay, I get it. But at the same time, you don't have a lot, you don't have a receiver core that really has the ability to shake one and then take off and be gone forever, right? This is a team that you're probably going to still have to depend on tight end play for for mid-range passes, you know, 7 to 14 yards. So you're carrying six wide receivers, but not sure if you can get the ball to those receivers beyond seven yards. Would that not be a waste of a roster spot if you can't address something else? So I, I think that the swing piece for me in this is Demario Douglas, because I think your point about are they going to have to throw a lot of short passes, he's the guy that I think is going to do that, and I think that's going to end up being – not a huge role for him as a rookie, but it's we're going to see him out there maybe more than a lot of people would expect a sixth-round receiver. With Booty, I think there's so much underlying talent there that he's worth keeping around to see if you can develop him. And let's not forget, in 2020, in a shortened season, he was one of the best freshman receivers in the entire country. He had a down year last year, still had 48 catches for LSU. So I think he's a guy that's worth giving a shot to develop, even if he doesn't you know, if, if he's inactive a lot of weeks or he doesn't have a huge impact, I would still want to develop him because I think, too, you know, we've talked about this, and, and this has been a topic for years. They don't do a good job drafting and developing wide receivers. So if you finally have a couple that have talent that you might be able to develop, I, I want to keep both of them around. Yeah, the, the narrative about drafting wide receivers is the Patriots were always so good, right, that you are never going to get one of those top of the – draft receivers because you're always drafting in the low 20. I mean, the high 20s. And they never really target. I mean, I know Nikhil right. Harry was a big bust, but they never really, like, they but drafted. when he was in college, right? They, yeah, so you can only go by what we saw in college. And they draft, like, they drafted Deion Branch in the second round and Nikhil Harry in the first round. And other than that, Chad Jackson in 06 in the second round, they didn't spend a lot of higher picks on receivers either. Like, they right. never really, and in fairness, too, like, 
Chad Jackson was a big bust. Nikhil Harry was a big bust. Aaron Dobson was a bust. So they didn't do a good job when they did target him, but they also didn't really spend a lot of resources. They always preferred to either late around guys or just sign or trade for veterans. Well, plus Belichick has always been a run-first guy, right? That's always been his M.O. ever since back in Cleveland. It's part of the philosophy when he was on the defensive side of the ball. If you believe that the defense is going to win you games, then the last thing you're going to do is have, like, you know, but I think, spread yeah. offense. But even know? when they shifted to pass first in, like, 2007-ish, but they had like, Brady. it was guys they traded for, guys they signed. And even you look at later on, like, guys like Brandon LaFell or Chris Hogan or Danny Amendola, it's all guys from outside the organization they brought in. So that's why, like, I think that's part of it, too. Like, you have two young receivers who look like you can develop it's worth having them stick around, especially with how expensive receivers are now. What if Booty ends up being a really good player in two or three years? That's a big bargain for you to have, at least initially. So yeah, I, 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 I would keep I, them around, for especially like Douglas, I think, is going to play. Yeah, Booty, you, I'm more for the development. But what you say about the development of the young receivers, I think, you know, I, my uncle's always tells me, you can never get good advice about life from someone who's the same exact age as you, right? They haven't lived it. So when you had Brady here, or if, let's just say you had a veteran that was here right now, then maybe I would say, yeah, they could learn because they're behind. They've got a quarterback that has been through, through some things and has been successful. But when everybody's learning at the same time, you know, the receivers are never going to outshine a quarterback if the quarterback's not shining, right? Like the sure. receivers show pop if the quarterback is. And if that's not happening or is yet to happen, it's going to be tough for them to grow. I'll tell you what, we'll go through the schedule next before we get out of here. KJ, John Lyons with me here, WEEI, 617-779-7937, text line 37937. Good Saturday to you. From the Rubenstein Law Studios, 1-800-BOS-LEGAL. This is WEEI, New England's sports original. We're back. It's KJ Carson on WEEI. Download the Odyssey app and listen on demand anytime. W-E-E-I, good Saturday to you. It's KJ along with John Lyons saluting Bob Barker, who gave a new meeting to come on down. <laughs> Sorry. 99 years old, John. Passed away today. Yeah. I did see one tweet, and I don't know who it was. I thought it was funny. He got as close to a dollar without going over, which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> thought that was good. So the best episode I ever remember of The Price is Right was a woman. This was like way back in the day. She got so excited that when she came on down the aisle, her top fell. And at the time, the shows were like straight up live on television. I think they still are. But there was nothing they could do to censor it. And it was the talk of the news and everything. They ran it over and over again. But look, I'm going to give my props to Bob Barker, man, because he comes from he comes from an age of, hey, cigarette girl, can you bring me a pack of Paul Malls? You know, like that's, you just have to understand where people come from at a particular time and error. And Bob Bart was a freak. I'm sorry. But look, um, people would confuse. They, I don't know if you know about this. You probably don't. But in the prison system, there was this rumor that Bob Barker, the game show host guy, was the person who was like supplying all these different items, toiletries, toothpaste, toothbrushes and all that, they believe that Bob Barker had invested heavily in the prison system. That was not true. It actually ended up being another guy named Bob Barker. So that was, those are the two things that jump out at, well, three things that jump out at me about Bob Barker was he comes from an older era, um, the, the situation where the person's top came down live on television and that he was not the guy 
that was spending his money on the te- on the sneak tip to fund prison toiletries and so forth. So ninety nine years old. Was was Prices Right one of those babysitter TV shows for you when you were sick home from school, John? So sometimes, like I would watch it. I knew of it. I didn't watch it every time I was home from school, but it was definitely something that if it was like on. I would make a point to like, all right, I'm going to check this out, see what people bid on. Because a lot of times, too, they would have items on the air. And especially as a kid, like, I would know what the item was, but I would have no concept of how expensive it was. Like, they'd have a jet ski, and I'd be like, oh, is that a couple hundred dollars? And then they'd be like, oh, it's $1,800 used. I'd be like, oh, okay. So it's a lot different. So it is something, though, that, I mean, it's still going, obviously, with Drew Carey, but it's synonymous with Bob Barker. He really built an empire out of guessing money in a spinning wheel. So, I mean, credit to him for the empire he built because everybody knows now the phrase price is right and uh, come on down. And make sure you have your pet spayed or neutered. Yes, that that, is actually probably the most memorable thing (laughs) that he did in his career, at least from my perspective. And I still think think it is the most bizarre sign-off in the history of TV, movies, (laughs) radio ever like i don't know i like it would be less bizarre if you left a tv show like swearing at the tv saying you hated everyone like yeah. that was that was really i mean i guess he's passionate about it good for him but that was uh, a, a very interesting way to end your career yeah plinko greatest game un- most underrated game that and punching out the holes to pull out how much the cash was in there to get the price of the car uh, that was up there salute yeah. bob barker age of 99 all right we're talking about the patriots before we get out of here, getting ready for Red Sox pregame game two against the Dodgers this afternoon. Um, we'll have that starting at 310. Uh, so look, off of what we've seen in the preseason, we haven't really seen Mac Jones at all. We've barely seen Ramondre Stevenson. We haven't seen Zeke Elliott. We've barely seen the receiver core. Now we're getting ready for the grand the dress rehearsal's over. September 10th, 425, with Tom Brady elevated in the pitch looking down below against the Eagles. How does game one look to you? So if I had more confidence in the Patriots offensive line, I might even lead towards picking them to win this game. But because I don't, I think the Eagles are just too good up front and that ends up making the difference in the game. It's tough. It's a sneaky tough spot for the Eagles though, KJ, because not only is it Tom Brady day and all that, but Super Bowl losers that are week one favorites on the road, the last nine instances of that, they're two and seven. So that's a tough spot to be in in general. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Did any of them come play this New England Patriots I, team? I, I don't know there? who they played. I just know that. But <laughs> I think it's a, it's like like I said, like the Eagles I think are going to win the game. But I think it's a sneakier, tougher spot for the Eagles than maybe a lot of people think. But I think that it's it's the keys up front. Like, if I had more confidence in the Patriots' offensive line, I might talk myself into, hey, they're going to win or lose a very close game. Because I don't, I think it's going to be, you know, a 7-10 to 10 point Eagles win where their front, especially defensively, just makes a difference. It's a revenge game for Matt Patricia as well. Oh, well, yeah. Revenge game. It's also a whole it's Patriots a- revenge game against him. So You know, I, I feel like we're working in my old ice cream parlor and suddenly we're discussing the guy who worked there for two weeks, what he's up to now. Like, how do you guys remember that? Like, so... Yeah, I don't think Matt Patricia fag factors into the revenge portion of the talent versus the talent on that Eagles well, team. Don't, don't let him make you look bad. If you're Mac Jones, you went all season bitching and moaning <laughs> about him, and then he's going to embarrass you week one. You can't let that happen. Uh, yeah, a bunch of A-gap blitzes, right? Okay, so let's combine the next three games, Miami, Jets, Dallas. After four weeks, 
What's the record looking like? I think it's two and two. I think they beat Miami on Sunday night at home, and then I think they see. I think they split with the Jets, but ironically, I think the road team wins both games. I think week three, <sighs> the Jets are still going to be getting Rodgers and that offense kind of fully going, and that's the spot where the Patriots can beat them. I think they lose to Dallas. I wouldn't be shocked if that flips, like if they lose to the Jets and beat Dallas, but I think those games are kind of they're going to win one, they're going to lose one. So I think they leave the first four weeks. Two and two. Would I be shocked if they're one and three? No, but I think they leave the first four weeks two and two. Well, if you can't be shocked that they'd be one and three, then you can't be that shocked if they're zero oh and four. I would be kind of surprised if they were zero oh and four. Like now, I know it's a tough start, but I think zero oh and four is a big leap for a team that's going to have a really good defense and better on the other two units well, of the ball. Well, but if you have a really bad offense, I don't think they're going to so have much... a really bad offense though. Like I think, you, like we have concerns about the O line, and I, I'm not, I'm telling, I don't think their offense like is going to be gonna great. It's going to be better than last year. You it's feel that it's way. It's going right? to be better than last year, but you, I, you I feel think, that way. Right? Well, well, last year they were 32nd in the league in red zone, 27th in the league on third downs. They were, I think, late 20s in yards per game, like late teens in points per game, and that was with eight non-offensive touchdowns. Like it can't really be any worse than it was last year. It's going to be better. If there's a game that I think they have chance to win, it might be at Dallas just because Dallas can sometimes frustrate themselves. That's a Zeke revenge game, too, if you want to talk about right, revenge games. Right, but exactly. Yeah, and the thing about Dallas, too, and but I want to, I'd be interested to see your take, KJ. Like, Dallas is a team roster-wise. I'm like, oh, yeah, they can be a Super Bowl contender. It's just I can't trust Mike McCarthy and the leadership there. It feels like they always find a way, and Dak's part of this, too, to make a key play to lose a game. Well, We've seen him do it two years in a row against San Francisco in the playoffs. Well, the problem with the Cowboys has been the, the the assistant has had the closer relationship with the owner, right? It was Jason Garrett who was so yeah. loved and then became the head coach. And then Kellen Moore, he was like the guess who's coming to dinner guy. You know, like, how come, Mike, yeah, how come Coach McCarthy? He's not there anymore. He's now. not there yeah. anymore. So Mike, Mc, I thought it just to be very weird that Mike McCarthy, an offensive guy, was not overseeing the offense because Kellen Moore still was having dinner with Jerry Jones. So I think when you remove those burdens out of the way or those distractions, and I think Kellen Moore was bigger the problem for Dak Prescott than I think sometimes Dak Prescott was. If those two are on the same page and they're at week four and maybe they've had a hiccup earlier in the season, Dallas could be that team that you just say, hey, they're going to be in the mix towards the end. So you say two and two, I say oh and four. I say the Saints will be, the, the, the Patriots will be fine, even just from a defensive purpose. The Raiders, I think they'll be fine defensively as well. So after six games, I would have them at two and four. Where would you have them going into the Buffalo game in week seven? Four and two. Because I have them be I agree with you. I have them beating New Orleans and Vegas. And the difference for me is I have them two and two after the first four. Problem for them is Buffalo and then at Miami. I mean, I don't I don't see them winning either of those games. So okay, then you're so. still four and four. Even in my eyes, you're four and four through eight games. So you really they have to clean up the stretch of Washington Indy the Giants after the bye, and the Chargers and the Steelers. Like they, to me, for them to be a playoff team, that needs to be a 4-1, and one, maybe even 5-0 and oh type stretch with the way they end the season, too. So you say after Miami it would be, what, 4-4 four and four after eight weeks? Yeah. And I would say it would be 2-6? and six. Yeah. All right, so Washington and the Colts in Germany, I, I think that's a split. I, I wonder if Anthony Richardson becomes a problem the way that Justin Fields became a problem for the defense last year. Like a guy who can run who's bigger and doesn't seem to be as intimidated by the speed of the game. We'll see. That's 10 weeks for a lot of things to shake out for him. 
But I'm going to go with a split where I say, yes, they'll take care of the commanders because the defense could easily handle them. And I could argue that, hey, they have better pieces on the Washington offense but even have a worse quarterback situation in my regard. Unless Sam Howell just shows something yeah. that just blows people away. So after going into the bye week, I would have them at three and seven. Yeah, and I would have them, like I said, if I'm four and four through Miami, I have them at six and four going into the bye because I think they beat Washington and Indy. But the problem is, KJ, like you look at their last four games, Kansas City, at Denver, which even if Russell Wilson still stinks, that's a tough place to play on Christmas Eve of all times at Buffalo, and then home against the Jets. Like, they could lose all four of those games. You know, I I have them winning one of them right now, but they could lose all four. So they have to. If they're going to be a playoff team, I think they have to go into the bye week at 6-4, and and they have to come out of that Pittsburgh series, like that Pittsburgh game, with eight wins at that point, and maybe even nine, because I think that end-of-the-season stretch is just so hard. So presuming that the last four games, including at Denver, which is on Christmas Eve at night, on the road, and you're been, and the previous week you were home. So you, somehow you've got to fly cross country during the holiday week, play a game Christmas Eve. By the way, coming off a Monday night game at home against Kansas City. So you right. play Monday night, then have to go fly cross country for Christmas Eve. For a Sunday game. So you have less than a week. You have a six-day stretch. So let's call those last four games losses. Just because I, yeah. I just I call the – and if I already have them losing six after ten, so that gives me ten losses already. Just in those last four, I think they beat the Giants. I don't think they beat the Chargers. I think they beat the Steelers. So, so you're looking at about a seven and ten, seven and ten, yeah, right. Which would it's actually minus money right there. So, again, at some point, and, and and this is the part that I would say for the defense is how frustrating will it be, or can it be, or if it is similar to last year where that team with the defense won about three or four games last year, if having to do that again with the same players in place on the offensive side of the ball, there, there, something's going to have to happen during the season, especially if you're trying to salvage something. Or let's just say you get after 10 games you know, in, in Germany, you come away, let's say you're four and six, okay? You're on the cusp of it. You could turn it around, but if you know you've got this gauntlet towards the end, do you make some type of move on the offensive side of the ball that's going to say we want to at least give ourselves a chance at nine and eight, which means that we've only got a, a room for maybe losing one or two more games? Yeah, and I think at that point, like if you're if you have a losing record after the bye, then maybe you do make a move to try to make a push, you know, some sort of trade or right around the bye because I think the trade deadline might be right before the bye. But if if you have a losing record going into it, and like I have the Patriots at nine wins, I've seen people say ten, I've seen people say eleven. I don't think like I think that's where the offensive line shortcomings and some of the weapons like that's the difference between me for like nine or more than nine. Like I think they win nine games. If they win eight, I'm not shocked, and they go eight nine again, which would be brutal to suffer through another losing season, especially after all the changes they made this off season. But I, I think their their ceiling to me, if everything went absolutely right, is probably ten. I think it's nine, and I wouldn't be shocked if it's eight. I, I think seven's a little too low for me, but it's tough because KJ, you make some great points. The schedule is brutal. 
I mean, yeah. they, they start out with a brutal stretch. They end with a brutal stretch. And even in the middle of the year, when they're playing some teams that I do think they're better than, they still have Buffalo and at Miami sprinkled in there. The yep. Giants were a playoff team last year. The Chargers were a playoff team. Pittsburgh was, I know the Patriots beat Pittsburgh I last think, year. I think the Giants Pittsburgh, maybe have a chance to be their most impressive win of the season. Yeah. Just because I believe the Giants, the flash of last year, isn't necessarily there this year. I think they'll probably be the team that has the biggest disappointment, right? There's always one team that made the playoffs the year before and misses it the next year. I think the Giants are that team, and I think that defense will be able to get to Daniel Jones, and their offense is kind of putrid as well. You could tell me they got all the receivers. You could tell me Saquon's back. You're not telling me about a quarterback can really move the ball down the field, but with his legs. All right, if you missed any of the show, the Odyssey app is free. You can rewind it. KJ at KJ Carson Twitter at is it the real John Lines? Are you one of those the real John Lines or the John Lines? The real it? John Lions. The, yes. You're the real John Lines. Yes. Who like did you? Have I made like it an like eleven f- years ago, and a read- bunch of people had the same name as me. It's so because I, I made an account said the fake John Lines. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you to clarify and, and I and it was tough because when you have a kind of a generic name like that, right? A lot of people don't spell it wrong, but. The problem is a lot of people have it. So I had to think of something that no one else had, and it took me a few tries. So that's I, I, where it came from. Because I'm trying to think of the other John Lines I would confuse you with. No, so yeah, I, that's I don't a, know. I'm sure there's 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 one somewhere. <laughs> at WEEI, of course, at Twitter as well. Um, still to come, we've got the Red Sox pregame show coming up in about seven minutes here. Um, this is a kind of weird story, but it's, it's kind of one of those that's a, a, a cautionary tale. I don't know if you heard about this woman who's 80 years old and she goes to a dating service because she's looking for love right now. Deeper in the story, you realize that she's been married multiple times and the last guy who was with her wasn't a husband, but they were a long time together. He passed away some years before. So she's ready and looking for love. And as my dad used to tell me, that's really great if it's never been used for 80 years, it's still 80 years. Sorry. So on the phone with this dating service, She's told that the cost will be $39.95 for the search to happen. She's thinking, okay, for 40 bucks, why not sign up? I could find a companion. Oh no, it was $3,995. The woman's having trouble getting her money back. It's it's come on, you had John, they she they had to know when they were telling her $39.95 that she was going to think. Now, for four grand, do they like find you a billionaire that you can marry? Because I mean, for four thousand dollars, I mean, if if you're eighty, they need to find someone who's twenty five that's willing to be. Okay, yeah, all right. So the reverse, yeah. So, (laughs) but yeah, for four, I mean, I have no concept of how much dating services are or aren't. But like, that's what happens when you're married. Four grand to me is like, I don't know. I feel like even at eighty years old, you can spend four grand a lot better. You know what you do if you're that age? She should just go on Tinder or Bumble. Instagram. Like that. Yeah. You know, kind of get dirty with it if you need to. Yeah. But yeah, for 4000 I'm I sorry. Like you could probably go to the senior center and find plenty of interest. <laughs> I don't know. Rather than paying four grand. I feel bad for the lady. I hope she gets her money back. Have a great Saturday, Red Sox pregame next. See you. WEI. WEI. New England Sports Original.